Today is Monday, September the 5th, 2022, and on today's episode, we will be previewing P.J. Washington, the fourth-year forward out of the University of Kentucky, had a solid season last year, expected to take a much bigger role on this year's version of the Charlotte Hornets, guys. We'll be previewing P.J. Washington, breaking down his performance a season ago and sharing our expectations for his performance in the upcoming season, guys. Before we dive into that, as we continue the countdown towards the season and towards tip-off, guys, as you remember, the jersey number countdown. Well, as we sit here again on Monday, September the 5th, we are 44 days away from tip-off, and there have been six players in Hornets history to wear the number 44. It started off with Kenny Gaddison from 1993 to 1995, then Derek Coleman from 1999 to 2001, Sean Singletary in 2009, Dante Cunningham in 2011, Jeff Taylor from 2013 to 2015, and most recently, Frank Kaminsky, 2016 through 2019, rocked the number 44, guys, 44 days away from tip-off. As we sit here, guys, again, Monday, September the 5th, I'm excited. It's getting close. We are, again, within one calendar month, right? When the calendar turns to October, you will have live-action Hornets basketball. So, you know, every day that passes is yet another day closer to tip-off. I'm very excited. And with that said, one of the players that I am most excited to check out this year is P.J. Washington, guys, a guy who I think expectations are through the roof for him. I've been on Twitter, you know, all offseason, as have many of you, looking at expectations for him, saying, okay, what's realistic? What do we think he's capable of doing? He's a player who I think there's a belief he's kind of just scratched the surface of his capabilities, right? A guy who has shown flashes, has has had great performances, but really it hasn't been anything that's been super consistent. And maybe that's just he hasn't had the opportunity and he hasn't really had to be super consistent to this point. Well, now he does. For better or for worse, you're going to need the best version of P.J. Washington to have the best version of the Hornets this year, right? Like last year, you know, he was able to kind of come and go and and not that you didn't rely on him as a as a contributor but you know there were games where he could miss or he could maybe not have his best performance and you could still get by and you could still win I think for you to have a shot at, at being a good team being a postseason kind of a team this year guys you're going to have to get whatever the best version of PJ Washington can be you're going to need that right so for better or for worse this season and not just for him but I mean he's one in particular that I think it applies to you're going to find out what his what his kind of a ceiling is, and you're probably going to find it out pretty quickly, guys. With that said, let's go ahead and look at his stats from a season ago. He played in 65 games, start, started in 28 of those games, guys. 27 minutes a night, he put up 10.3 points, 5.2 rebounds, 2.3 assists. On his shooting splits, guys, 47% from the field, which is fantastic. I was his career high, uh, 36.5% from three. from the foul line, guys. Also averaged a tick under a steal per game and a tick under a block per game. 0.9 steals and 0.9 blocks per game. A guy who's a versatile defender, guys, can really switch one through five. Good lateral quickness, good length. You know, kind of that 6'7", 230 frame. Kind of that guy who almost sort of to a T fits the mold of what you think of positionless basketball, like today's NBA, right? really can switch, and he's a guy who I think he's undersized to be a full-time center, although we have seen teams, you know, try shorter guys as full-time centers, but he's a guy who's probably not tall enough for what you would want in an ideal full-time center, but can run that small ball five, can step outside, can knock down the three, you know, and again, has had great performances. The thing I always go back to, I I dug and did the research on this, guys, 
as we all know, he dealt with some injury issues last year, missed some time early on in the year, kind of took a while to get his rhythm back. It was sort of a situation where he missed that time early on, and Miles Bridges just had such a strong start that you couldn't pull him from the starting five. So P.J. sort of struggled, I think, to really find his his groove and his rhythm when he came back, right? Like, what was his role? What was he supposed to do? Well, I really think the turning point in all of that, there was a game, it was March 16th at home against the Hawks. And in that game, P.J. rattled off, I believe it was the last 13 points, or he, you know, he just had this spectacular fourth quarter, you know, really kind of closed the game out strong. You got to win. It was a, a, a nip and tuck kind of back and forth sort of a game. And P.J. just basically carried you down the home stretch of that game, right? Got you home in that game. Before that matchup, guys, he had played 52 games. He had put up averages of 9.9 points, 5.4 boards, and 2.0 assists. Again, in 52 games leading up to March 16th against the Atlanta Hawks. Including that game against the Hawks and afterwards, he put up averages of 11.6 points, 4.2 rebounds, and 3.2 assists per night. So again, really just went off. Like, just basically turned his whole season around, I would say, in that performance and really had a strong finish to the year, got in a rhythm, got in a groove. And I would like to see him continue that. I mean, that's kind of the silver lining, sort of the olive branch that I hold on to, is look how strong he closed the year. And then think about the opportunity he's going to have this year with, obviously, Bridges' absence. And, you know, PJ is going to be your starting power forward. Like, pencil it in, pencil it in, and, you know, write it in permanent ink. I mean, that guy is going to start at the four this season, guys. So I'm expecting big things. Now, I want to frame it in a way, though, that I think isn't unfair to him. I, You know, I don't want to make it seem like he is this year's version of Miles Bridges, where he's going to kind of, you know, be a fringe candidate for most improved player and lead the team in scoring and receive all-star votes. I don't think that's a fair expectation to put on PJ because he's his own man and his game is different than Miles's. And I just want PJ to be the best version of PJ that he can be. Now, as far as replicating some of the production, sure. But I'm not going to sit here and say I expect him to average 20 a night and lead your team in scoring on a on a regular basis, right? Like just max out what he can do. And I think he can. I mean, again, I'm going to say he's going to average, you know, 30 minutes at least a night this year. Didn't do that last year. Uh, again, so really expecting those big things out of him as well. Last year, guys, I just really think the injuries kind of set him back. I mean, you just look at it. It was his career low in minutes per game last year, believe it or not. As a rookie, he played 30 minutes a night and basically played the same amount of minutes a night uh, two seasons ago, the 2020-2021 year. Uh, he played 30.5 minutes a night. Last year, 27.2. So, I mean, again, remaining healthy and available and just getting in that rhythm, getting in that groove is going to be so crucial for him. He's a guy who has shown the capabilities. I mean, he came in just on fire as a rookie. If if you remember his rookie opening night, he was the only Charlotte draft pick since 2012, since Michael Kidd Gilchrist to start as a rookie. Now Dwayne Bacon started, but he technically was not drafted by the Hornets. But again, in the last decade, the only Hornets draft pick to start, the first game of their rookie season. He put up 27 points that night. That was the most by a Hornets rookie outside of LaMelo since 2008. So it was the Bobcats. It was DJ Augustine, guys. So again, I mean, he just came in and just was raining threes his first game as a pro. He's a guy who I just think the inconsistencies, is it 
is it, you know, his style of play? Is it the opportunities? Is it his knowing his role on the team? That is what I'm the most curious to find out. Now, leading into area for the most improvement, right? If you remember, guys, we're doing that sort of with all the players, right? Like nobody's a perfect player on this roster, one through 15. What can PJ do to kind of max himself out this year and to really sort of hit that ceiling or at least get closer to that ceiling? For me, it's this, creating offense, right? He's a guy who to this point hasn't had to do that. He hasn't been a primary creator on offense. Clearly, LaMelo is the straw that stirs the drink. Gordon Hayward can play make a little bit. Miles started to kind of pick that up a little bit last year. You just go and look at the stats and these advanced stats, guys, NBA.com, uh, all stats courtesy of NBA.com. They have the advanced scoring stats on there. It's very fascinating, guys. You just look at percentage of field goals assisted versus unassisted. Of the entire roster last year, guys, P.J. Washington had the second highest rate of assisted field goals. Only Kai Jones was higher. And again, Kai Jones, small sample size, so data skewed a little bit there. Keep that in mind. But guys, P.J. Washington last year, of all of his field goals made, 87.2% were assisted. Just 12.8% were unassisted. So if you want to round, you know, basically 87% of PJ's made field goals came off of an assist and 13% came off of something that he created on his own. Now, I'm not saying that he needs to go just iso ball, dribble, 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 you know, tunnel vision, but creating your own offense a little bit, I think would be the next logical step in his progression, right? And it really kind of bleeds in. I mean, it's according accordingly flows from that statistic into his three-point field goals made that were assisted. Guys, 97.3% of PJ's three-point field goals that were made came on an assist. So basically 3% of his made three-point field goals came off of him creating the look, right? Whether it be, you know, a transition pull-up three or just creating something for himself on the perimeter, right? And then on his two-point field goals, that was a little bit higher again because he's a he's a, a forward is able to create down in the post, but twenty point seven percent of his two point field goals made were self created ninety seven or rather seventy nine point three percent. So basically seventy nine percent of his two point field goals came off and came off of an assist. Really, if you just look at the the whole Hornets roster in that stat, guys, he's down there with. Kai Jones and Nick Richards and and Plumlee and Scotty Lewis and uh, Arnoldus Kolboka, like basically the rookies and Kolboka and and Nick Richards. So PJ self creation, creating offense, and, and from that will come creating offense for others. You know, making the defense collapse, kicking it out to the three point shooters. Now again, I'm not saying he needs to just become, you know, a, a high usage guy, become a tunnel vision guy, just go ISO all the time because I don't think that's the style of offense that best fits this roster, but being able to do it on occasion when the game kind of gets in crunch time down the stretch, how many times did we see, you know, give LaMelo the ball, just get out of the way, let him create, or even miles did it on occasion. Gordon Hayward can do it on occasion. Having that ability. If you're PJ Washington to go in crunch time, clock running down shot clock is at, you know, eight seconds. You need something going towards the goal. Can you just put your head down, get to the rim, get a good look, just create good shots? Like, can you get your shot whenever you want? Just have a go-to move. That's what I'm looking for, for his area of most improvement this year. And that leads me into what will define a successful season 
for PJ Washington guys. And he's a guy who, again, I have high expectations for, I think he's kind of the highest upside guy of the, at least the main rotation guys, right? Like James Booknight, I think we all believe he has upside, but he really hasn't even proven a whole lot at the NBA level yet. Uh, LaMelo, you just, you've already seen the upside. So you can kind of just already bake that into your expectations Gordon Hayward, Terry Rozier are, are veterans. They kind of are are at their peak, if not, you know, in the case of Hayward, a little bit on the exiting his prime, I would say. Uh, Mason Plumley fits into that category as well. Kelly Oubre is a guy who I think we all kind of know what he is right now. With that said, guys, PJ, the guy with the highest, I guess, capability for improvement, right? And the highest ceiling as far as how much better can he realistically get. So with that said, and with PJ, again, his stats have kind of been up and down in his career. His role has really fluctuated, I think, which has contributed to that. I would just like to see him become a 15-point-a-night guy, hold down the power forward starting spot all season long. And, you know, if he can go all 82, great. If not, okay, that's that's fine. But really become that, that solidified starting four, be like a 15-point-a-night guy, give you, you know, can you be like 15 and seven? I think that's realistic. I mean, seriously, he put up six and a half rebounds two seasons ago, as well as 12.9 points a game. So basically 13 points a night. That was his career high so far as 12.9. I mean, his career high all across the board basically came two seasons ago. So really what I, what I go back to is if miles is gone all year, or if he's even gone a significant part of the year, again, I'm not, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not going to try to guess, what the result of that whole situation will be, but maybe it, it opens that path for PJ to kind of, again, I'm not saying become what miles was. Cause I don't think that's a fair expectation, but replicate some of that production and have a, a better understanding of what his role is within this team and within the offense in particular. So with that said, guys, I'm expecting jumps across the board from him. Statistically speaking, a successful season in my book will be holding down that starting four spot all season long, becoming a 15 points a night guy, becoming a seven rebounds a night guy. I think that would define success for PJ as well as the efficiency. I mean, his field goal percentage was a career high last year, which is great. His three point shooting did dip a little bit. You'd like to see that get back up in that, you know, 38% range. So we'll, we'll add that to the expectations as well. And then again, you know, just creating offense, it, it's a, a bit hard to sort of, quantify that outside of just the stats I already ran off, but got, got to get those, uh, you know, those numbers a little bit more balanced out, you know, not that again, not that he just needs to become a, a heavy ISO guy, but, but balance it out a little bit. I mean, if you just look at the rest of the roster, like, you, you know, uh, you just look at guys that the highest percentage of unassisted field goals made was actually Ish Smith and Vernon Carey, but you go on down the list. LaMelo had 50, basically 54% of his, his shots made were unassisted. He was the only guy over 50%. You know, Book Knight was at 45%. Terry had 39%. Uh, Isaiah Thomas, 36.5%. Uh, Miles was at, you know, basically 34%. So just getting it up a little bit, I think just having that number maybe even around like 25% unassisted field goals, right? Because you look, like Jalen McDaniels was at 26 Kelly Oubre was at 24%. So kind of right in the middle of those two guys. Just being able to self-create, I think, will really take him a long way, help him become kind of that 15-7 and seven solid guy, play both ways, basically your most switchable defender at this point, right? Uh, as far as being able to guard bigs and being able to guard perimeter players as well. That's what I would say for PJ. And he's a guy, look, I haven't looked up the odds yet 
for most improved player. But like, I think that could be, again, uh, we mentioned not expecting him to replicate miles as far as 20 points a night and fringe all-star guy. But I think PJ Washington has a big opportunity here to kind of be a sneaky candidate for that most improved player. If for no other reason, then he's just going to have the opportunity and he's really going to have to, if this Hornets team is really going to go as far as, as we all hope they do. Right. So again, just a guy who I really think could enter that conversation, if not in a, in a, you know, one of the main candidates for that award, at least kind of a guy who's kind of on the fringe, right. And kind of a guy who's, you know, at least mentioned in those conversations, in those discussions, in those debates. I'm very excited for year four of uh, PJ Washington guys. If you've listened to the show at all, I'm a guy who believes year three is really the breakout year for star players, right? We've seen John Morant. We've seen Trey Young, even going back to other guys as well. You can just go look at the history. Year three is really where they, they've obviously flashed the potential before, but really where they just start, where it starts impacting winning at a high level, right? So with LaMelo, whether you want to say the situation around him is conducive to that, I think year three LaMelo is really, as much as we've seen already, He's th- this will be like something we've not seen before from him. Year four for non-star players, right? Like role players or very solid players. Guys like a PJ Washington, like I can't call him a star yet, but he's a guy who year four is going to be big for him, right? And some guys it takes a little longer, like you just got to be patient with them, but Year four, PJ Washington is is about to be the best version of him you've seen. And that that's applicable to the other guys from that draft class as well. That's applicable to a guy like a Cody Martin and a guy like a Jalen McDaniels, who we both, you know, both were acquired the same year as PJ was by the Hornets. So again, that draft class has turned out to be very solid for the Hornets. And year four now with those guys, all sort of your homegrown talent, right? Actually, an interesting little uh nugget of information as well, guys, as Arnoldus Kolboka departed the Hornets this off season. And again, with miles technically still, you know, just kind of remove him without miles, without Arnoldus Kolboka outside of those two guys, PJ Washington, the longest tenured Hornet. That sounds crazy to say, because it seems like just yesterday he was drafted, right? But the longest tenured Charlotte Hornet is P.J. Washington, for one that just reemphasizes and, and reinforces the youth on this roster and the, the the ever-changing nature of NBA rosters in general. But it also shows, like, he's a guy who's been around. You know, it's his fourth year. He went through the first year post-Kimba, the COVID-shortened year, right? Like, he was a part of that team. Then he was here for LaMelo's Rookie of the Year campaign. Then he was here last year for another solid season, you know, winning campaign. So, it's not a, a long tenure, but it's the longest of anybody on the roster, right? Because he was your highest draft pick that summer as well. So he's longer tenured. He has a longer tenure in technicality than Cody Martin and Jalen McDaniels do. But again, he's a guy who's been around the block. I'm I'm very high and I'm very bullish, if you can't tell, tone of voice that I have here, guys, on his potential this year. Again, trying to temper expectations. I'm not. Don't don't. If he turns out to be an all-star, if he turns out to get, you know, win the most improved player award and average 20 a night, great. I'll be the first to say I was wrong. I'll be the first to tip my cap. I am just saying don't don't create unrealistic expectations because I think that's kind of just setting yourself up to be disappointed. What I am saying is, look, 15 and 7, fringe most improved player candidate, and really still your best switchable defender one through five, right? 
and being able to create more offense. I think all of those are reasonable goals for P.J., and so that's my preview for him this season. All right, guys, that'll wrap it up for the P.J. Washington preview episode, an episode that I've been particularly excited about recording, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you, those of you who are listening on this Labor Day Monday. Hopefully you have the day off work. Whatever you're doing, wherever you may be listening to this, thank you for tuning into the show, guys. Thank you for continuing to show support, show love. As always, it helps us out a ton if you subscribe, if you subscribe on YouTube, follow on Twitter, Instagram, uh, just download and like the show as well, leaving reviews. That really helps us out as well as far as being more visible on these uh, on these podcast platforms, if you will. So thank you, all of you who have done that. And we're very excited, again, as we continue to cl- get closer to the season, exploring new types of content we're going to be dropping and new episode series, what have you. Very excited for all of that. But as always, it all goes back to you guys, the listeners. So thank you for tuning in, for showing love and support, and continuing to to support our show and ultimately for supporting the Hornets because that's what we're all here to do and we're all fans of the team, so that's ultimately what it's all about. As always, guys, thank you so much. We'll catch you again on Thursday, guys. The Mason Plumley preview should be a good one. Until then, go Hornets.